What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath, waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com slash podcast or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Carolyn Berrigan was born and raised in the real Niagara Falls and is the eldest of eight children. In less than a month, Carolyn will celebrate as a 20-year survivor of stage three colon cancer. Today, Carolyn is the managing director of Radiant Salon and MediSpa with two locations in Ashburn, Virginia and Leesburg, Virginia. Carolyn has decades of executive management experience, having managed four businesses concurrently in the recent past with over $7 million in revenue. Having earned an MBA, held securities and insurance licenses along the way, Carolyn is poised for a new chapter. Let's find out how she sees the future. Welcome, Carolyn. Hello, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. It's good to see you. Well, of course, our audience can't see you, but I must say you look fabulous in COVID. You look fabulous all the time, but I mean, it's midwinter. You look great. Thank you. So you and I have traveled some of the same real estate in life. And I guess before we talk about that, tell us about your life today and the work that you just finished up and the work that you continue doing in the beauty business. Yeah, well, I I am one of those people that um, lost a business during COVID. So I, as you said, I run four businesses and um, many weight loss didn't make it through. It was painful, uh, stressful, and one of those things in life I don't wish on anyone, but at the same time, definitely learn lessons. And at this point, it's such a relief just to have been able to settle all the debt and be able to exit with my head held high. So, Well, that's great uh, in terms of taking lemons and making lemonade. Without getting into specifics about that business, we're all seeing businesses end uh, in this period, and they certainly never expected to. So we're still in COVID as we tape our talk today. In And I want to know a little bit more about how the work has been affected. And I'm not talking about that business closing so much as what are your clients telling you about how they've been affected and being in the beauty business, which sure, we're under mask and maybe we're off camera can throw up a great picture of ourselves. But for most women, we still want, and and I'm sure there's plenty of men in this space as well, but for most of us, we still want to look good. So how is the beauty business affected? What good things are going to come out of this? And, and what are your clients telling you about how they're being affected? Well, first of all, I don't really have a lot of one-to-one interaction with my clients because I manage offsite. Um, I have awesome general managers and they handle all the day-to-day operations. So that's why I say I oversee the management I don't actually do the day-to-day. What I get are texts, phone calls, emails from clients telling me how grateful they are for all the PPP equipment and all the procedures we've put in place. And it's very gratifying because oftentimes in business, you only hear from people who have complaints or 
things that they'd like you to improve. So it's it's been very gratifying. What I didn't know uh, how people would react is we've had a couple people that have had COVID and we've had people that had to quarantine because they had been exposed to COVID, even though they didn't come down with it. And then we have to turn around and contact our clients. And I wasn't sure if they were going to be angry, but you know what? I found out that we're all in this together and people have been very, very positive and it's been very gratifying. And is it morphing a little bit as we get a little bit closer to the possibility of vaccinations? I'm not sure if that has as much to do with it as I think people are getting more used to what we have to do. When this all started, it was very daunting. We didn't know how COVID spread. We thought it spread by, you know, touching items. So we put procedures in place where clients weren't allowed to touch shampoo and, and you know, beauty products. Um We've, of course, evolved over time, and uh, we realize it's now the social distancing, the mask wearing, but uh, when it all started, there weren't any answers. Yeah. And before we uh, started rolling here with the tape, you mentioned a change in the way you work out, and so I'd love for you to talk about that and and highlight the local small business if you want to name them. But I'm also interested in understanding how you've been affected, you, Carolyn. What, What changes have come your way that... Are, are not just a result of COVID, but a result of having lived through the last year in all its details. So when, when COVID started, I wished that I had taken, taken a class in crisis management when I got my MBA. There were so many questions and no answers. And management, employees, everyone was looking to me to make the decisions. And I did a lot of research, but At the end of the day, it was a lot of weight on my shoulders because we're talking life and death for our employees, for our clients. And, you know, you you have to take care of the business, but you've got to take care of people first. And, you know, when do you close? What what protocols you have for reopening? It it definitely was major, major crisis management. I tried keeping in touch with the employees from time to time with letters, big letters telling them exactly what we were doing, what they could expect. Uh, we were putting in very, very high level air purifiers, just giving them a heads up to let them know we care. I think that they would have appreciated even more contact because they felt like people weren't giving them answers. And even, even though I reached out and gave them what I could, they were looking for more and more and more assurance. Everyone just wanted to feel better because everyone was really scared. So I think to do a redo, I think I would reach out even if I didn't necessarily have information. I'd reach out more just to let people know that I'm I'm living this to take care of you. And, and I actually did. So when everything else shut down, I went into uh, hyper work mode. I had to apply for uh, PPP, EIDL, local grants. I was applying for all kinds of funds to keep the businesses going. And I was doing the applications for four different businesses. So I went from, you know, from working a regular schedule to working seven days a week. And my office building was completely empty. I tried working from home for a while, but I actually really liked having the, the distinction between home and work. So I would go, I was the only person in the whole building and I was able to get the funds and thank God, because without it, you know, a lot of people would be out of jobs today. 
Yeah. I'm very grateful. And I'm really grateful that the second round is coming around. Yesterday, I completed my applications for the PPP funds. And so, yeah, looking, looking to take care of employees and the business. Great. Glad to hear it. Glad you're making use of the resources that, that are out there. Now, to do as much as you do uh, and get done what you get done, you need a certain amount of confidence. And what have you learned in your business about confidence? And I, I really believe there is a connection to the way we look, but how do you see that? Well, it's funny you should ask because I actually believe that confidence is beauty. I don't believe it's the other way around. Yes, if you put on a pair of high heels, you're going to walk across the room with your head a little higher. But at, at the same time, if you're not feeling confident, you're not feeling pretty no matter how good you look. So I think that confidence is key. And uh, think about think about a woman that walks in a room and she can command the room. And if you look at her, her individual traits might not be that interesting or or that pretty, according to your taste. But she commands the room and that's confidence. So I think it's sexy and I think it's beautiful. I think you're right. And I do think it's internal. And it takes sometimes uh, a long time to gain it, right? To, to walk into a room and have it versus this is a room I would have been confident in anyway. Well, that's the best part about getting older, Bonnie. <laughs> that's true. I'll be 62 in March uh -huh. and I'm living the best life I've ever lived. And I think that confidence has a lot to do with it. You know, I've put on a few pounds during COVID and yeah, I'm dealing with it, but I'm not stressing about it. I'm not hating myself over it. And I think my younger self would have been like, oh, why are you doing this again? You know, so it is what it is and I'll deal. So you also need a lot of energy for everything that you're managing, all those businesses. What, what do you do to take care of yourself? Well, one of the things I stopped doing during COVID was exercise. I mean, we'd go from walks, but but that really wasn't cutting it. I belonged to a large gym pre-COVID, which I quit in March, and I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't sure if I wanted to buy equipment. My house isn't that large, so I really, it wasn't like I had an exercise room that I wanted to devote. So I found a small gym, a very small gym, uh, seven minutes from my house. It's perfect because they only allow three people in at a time. So I go in, I get my cardio, I do my weight training, and you know, you talk about confidence, walking around where, where you can feel your muscles strengthen and they hurt a little bit sometimes, that actually really, really does build confidence. You know, you're doing something good for yourself. And this gym, I'm, I'm just so fortunate because usually I'm the only person there. So I feel safe and I'm, I'm just very grateful to be able to get back to it. I didn't realize when you're exercising all the time and it's a part of your life, when you stop doing it, you don't realize how devastating it is. And it's hard, it's hard to get back. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I didn't put too much pressure on myself. And, you know, now, now I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. So... Well, I'm glad to hear it. In fact, and I'm really glad that you have a wonderful gym that you feel safe at and that you're taking advantage of. Um, I, I am one of those people that have always worked out, but I stop in different periods, COVID being one of them, work got extremely busy. And uh, but But you're right, because one, two, three weeks into not moving very much. Mm -hmm. We're in the same age group, although I've got you beat by a few comfortable years. <laughs> Things start to hurt just from not moving. Right. I couldn't agree more. 
the aches. You don't know where they're coming from, but they're there. And it's not like you can run out to the chiropractor, you know? No. Um, yeah. So, so exercise, exercise is, is definitely key and it clears your mind. It just, you know, it lets me sleep better. It, it just makes me feel better. So I, I laugh. Why wouldn't I want to do it? What, I mean, why would I ever not want to do it? There's, there's no downside. Another small Benny is that we're here in Northern Virginia. Our air is pretty clean most uh, most days. And I, of course, there are cities and places in the U.S. where that's not the case. So thank goodness we can also still get outside and uh, really get our heads open there. Now, that was such a, a surprise with COVID. It's funny how you get so caught up in life and your schedule is so full that you don't even think to take a walk. And, you know, my husband and I would, we'd watch all these couples walking by holding hands in front of our house. It was just so sweet because pre COVID, we never saw that. And now it's an everyday occurrence. And we would get out and do that. And I really, really enjoyed that quality time. Did we accomplish much? No. Did we enjoy it? Yeah. And that's what matters. Yeah, I think coupledom and hopefully even singletons are seeing this, but I we are definitely hearing that young families, uh, one of the blessings of this time period is that they have more time together and they are taking advantage of it there. That walk may be happening when it would have been a commute. Well, I have to tell you, speaking of young families, I have just so much respect for what young families are going through right now. Homeschooling, while working from home, while still doing everything else that you have to do when you have young kids, you know, you you just can't put them on hold because of COVID. And we have a lot of employees that have changed their work schedule. And my managers were great working with them, adjusting their schedule because they had to be there when their kids were in school. It's very challenging for younger people. That's where I'm, I'm at an advantage. You know, it's nice being older. Right. That phase of our life is gone, but we all have loved ones in it. And you're you're absolutely right. I, I worry for them, have worried for them. But I recall that when we were back pre-COVID, it was a lot like a production line. Kids are out by eight. Everyone meets again sometime in the evening. Everyone's exhausted, tired and hungry. Sleep, do it over again. And I feel like Americans are a little bit late to the party of family life can be completed with a work life. I, I agree. And you, by the way, you didn't even mention the piano lessons and, and the gymnastics and, and, you know, marching band and football games and all the other things that, that just fill a family's schedule. So, yeah, I think, I think we've all like benefited from some simplicity, but at the same time, these parents are on 24 seven. I mean, they're not getting a break going to work. When I started working, I was like, Oh my gosh, you get to sit down to eat lunch. You know, I mean, it was just almost a break and they're not getting one. Right. It's, really tough saving a few bucks because maybe they're paying a little bit less than child in child care but jobs are threatened because there's not a full work day children are can see parents why can't you play with me I can see you so there are so many challenges my hope is that when we get to the other side of this we're willing to give everybody a wide enough berth to figure it out a little differently that's that's my hope yeah I agree with you But you've had plenty of other bumps along the way. What other kinds of mid-course corrections have you made or had to make in your life? Well, in your intro of me, you started out by saying that I'm almost a 20-year 
survivor of stage three colon cancer. And I don't like that to define me. It happens to be a part of my past that has definitely affected who I am today. But I decided a long time ago, I didn't want to live cancer. I wanted to survive it and move on, help where I can, help inspire people to get colonoscopies, to take care of themselves. But I didn't want to wake up every day thinking about it. And one of the best moments of my life was when I forgot to call the doctor to get the results of a blood test. And it, it got to be five o'clock and it was like quarter after. And I, I was almost crying. I was so excited because I reached my goal. I wasn't living cancer. It wasn't in the front of my mind every minute of every day. So that was great. But I did, I, I did survive. I had surgery. I had some very intense chemo because I was so young. I was only 41. And they, uh, they determined it was an aggressive cancer. So I was allowed to do an experimental can, uh, cancer treatment. I was fortunate to make it through. They actually had to discontinue the trial because too many people were dying of the treatment. Oh, wow. So it was intense, but I'm, I'm very, very grateful. My kids were young. My kids were too young for me to check out. You know, I, I always said that when I died, the only people that would cry would be Visa and MasterCard. And <laughs> you know, but really, when you're facing your own mortality like that, if you've had a great life, it's not that much about you. It's it's about those you have to take care of. And so I'm grateful I got to stick around to do that. Just a quick question about that, because I think when I'm listening to someone else's medical history where they've survived something, my mind always goes to, was there a symptom? Did, did like what tipped you off? For our listeners, can you just share if you were going along in your life and this was random or if something was showing up and you got it checked out? So this, this is where a lot of my family are in the medical field. And this is where I come down as being the hypochondriac that was proven right. One time, just one time on a toilet tissue, I had two very, very small blood clots, very small. But I called the doctor and I didn't know what it could be. And they said, well, it sounds like a hemorrhoid. I said, I've never had one. And they said, well, congratulations, but come on in and we'll check you out. I said, you know what? I have a PPO. Thankfully, I had a PPO. And I said, recommend a gastro and I'll just go there. I did, but the appointment wasn't an emergency. It was months down the road. And when I got in, she did a few tests and told me I was good to go, have a nice life, come back in five years. And as I was walking out her door, she stopped me and she said, look, I don't really see anything and you're very young, but why don't we just go ahead and do a baseline colonoscopy? Now, Bonnie, this goes back to 2001. I didn't know what a colonoscopy was. Katie Couric had not done her colonoscopy on television. <laughs> I had never even heard of it. So the night before I'm doing my prep, which was 10 times worse than it is today, and I thought I was crazy. I almost canceled the appointment, but I thankfully kept it. She did the colonoscopy and found a polyp. She said, it's not a big deal. She removes them all the time. Have a nice life. She'll see me in five years. And two days later, I got a call from her nurse asking me to be in her office in two hours and bring my husband. So I was fortunate. Uh, my uncle was the chief of anesthesiology at George Washington University, and I was in surgery within four days. Wow. I was very, 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 very lucky to have a great doctor that took the time 
So I think just even, you know, those regular check-ins with a doctor, I, I dread going to the doctor, but at least you were in the system to, you know, talk about something when it comes up and you asked the question. Yeah. When I finished my cancer treatments, my oncologist, he said something that stayed with me. And he said that cancer survivors have a horrible history of keeping doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. They just don't want to deal with it anymore. And that challenged me. And so I, you know, I keep a schedule and I pay attention to it. And except for COVID, I'm really very much on target. I, although I did just have a mammogram a few weeks ago, but yeah. you know, you do what you can do, but it was a good challenge. So I'm on the five-year schedule for colonoscopies, and this interview reminds me that I will get back on the schedule. It's time. So thank you for that. Good. Well, I love a good love story. There aren't enough of them in our daily life. You have a pretty sweet one. Can you tell us how you picked yourself up after being divorced and you found yourself a great guy? What, what And what does a good partner do for you at this stage of your life? Well, first of all, Corey and I were best friends for years uh, before we ever realized that there was anything between us. I was married and he was in a long-term relationship. And when he wasn't, I was always trying to fix him up with my girlfriends. <laughs> so I just wanted my friend to be happy. When he found out I was single, he texted me and said, me and you need to have a serious discussion or two. It freaked me out, Bonnie. It freaked me out. It was the last thing in the world I ever expected. And I wasn't sure how to respond. So I responded, me and you, didn't you know I was an English teacher? (laughs) Total deflection, just total total deflection. That happened to be Childhood Cancer Awareness Week. And I was very, very active in it, um, especially that year. Uh, I had six networking events, a lot of them tied, tied to childhood cancer, a few other things. Because Corey and I traveled in the same networking circles, he was going to all the same events. So we saw each other all week, all weekend. And come Monday morning, I didn't know what I was going to do because we are just dancing around pretending that the text had never been sent. And my coworker said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. And she said, well, you said you were going to date. You were going to start dating. And, And I said, well, I really didn't mean it. You know, I mean, after being married for 30 years, it, it takes a little bit to get back into it. So I opened up Facebook and I saw a photo of Corey that Corey had posted of his mom. She had died one year ago that day. And he wrote this beautiful, beautiful tribute to her without even thinking. I picked up my phone and I texted and I said, you're right. We do need to talk tomorrow, five o'clock Stonewalls. And when we got together, we each got a scotch and sat in a club chair. And I said, you know, there's an elephant in the room. It's a baby elephant and it's really, really cute, but it's still an elephant. And we're way too good of friends to have elephants. I said, it's become apparent very recently, like very, very, very recently that we may have feelings for each other, which struck me just over the weekend. And after he planted the seed, somehow that it all just started growing in my head pretty quickly. I said, if we do this, it's only going to go in one direction. He said, I know. And we never, ever, ever look back. So it was a wonderful beginning, although we like to say that we started in the middle because we knew each other so well. As a matter of fact, because I would counsel him in his relationships, I actually know way more as a best friend than a wife ever would. (laughs) 
I'm sure that's true. Uh, that, that's a great story. And I feel like so many of the women that we work with have the same trepidation. I know I did after my divorce. I had been with that person for 28 years. And I obviously, when you meet someone at 19, you don't develop great dating skills to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do you ever think about if Corey had not sent that text? No, I yeah. don't. But you know what? I, I mentioned the knowing knowing more as a best friend. I also had the benefit of having him tell me as a best friend that how frustrating it was to be with a woman who was upset with her weight. Mm -hmm. And he said, there is no woman with a man where the man is thinking, oh, she's 20 pounds overweight while he's making love with her. I mean, he, he's like, men just don't think that way. Why do women put all that pressure on themselves? So I went into this relationship not having been with another man for over 30 years, and that took a lot of pressure off. Boy, I can imagine. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware that Corey has done some TED Talks, and uh, that might be one he might think about doing because just the way you've expressed it now, and I know how good he is at speaking, that's really an amazing topic simply because you're right, men do think differently. And what an impediment to enjoyment when we put that in front. So I'm, I'm curious, it kind of leads to our, our next question. The obsession over beauty never seems to quiet in our own heads. And I'm curious, you post a lot of beautiful pictures of your life with Corey, what you guys eat and drink and enjoy. It's almost like a great lifestyle magazine. And you never do it in a bragging fashion. You're just like, this is our evening and we hope to see you soon. And so how do you stay fit while enjoying food? I mean, it's like you're French. And what can we learn from you about savoring and taking pleasure in food and drink and versus that constant head chatter and that internal finger wagging? Okay, so so you are going to give me a break because I already told you that I've put on some COVID weight. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but thank you. Thank you. We both like to cook and we it works out really well. Sometimes Corey takes the lead and I'm his Sue. And sometimes I lead, he's my Sue. And sometimes we just do our own thing. We both are very much into numbers and spreadsheets and analytical things. So the creative, the creative exercise is a nice outlet for both of us. We really enjoy our food. We enjoy making good food. And to that end, it's not just about slopping it down on a plate. We actually plate our food is if we were in a restaurant. And with my husband being 6'4", and me being 5'3", there's a difference in our size and there's a difference in the amount of food that we should eat. So he eats on a big plate and I eat on a small plate. And it's a nice way to manage portion control. I let him serve me usually because he actually does a better job serving me than I serve myself. But taking a photo, we don't just uh, take photos when we post them. I actually take photos every day. And there's some accountability in that. You know, I never go back for seconds and we, we don't snack at night. But just the accountability and, and looking at what you're eating and making sure it's clean enough. So I'm not perfect. I'm definitely, definitely not perfect. But we eat pretty healthy and we eat really, really good food. Well, the pictures indicate that you have a wide variety of foods. And, and that's, I think, you know, I'm, I'm back in another weight loss program. My insurance company actually called me. How humiliating is that? <laughs> but part of the program is that you take a picture of your food. And I agree, there's some accountability there. But I also think that 
growing up in a single parent home where TV dinners were pretty prominent, I'm at this very late age uh, over the last 10 years learning to enjoy a meal at a different pace and picking foods that are not off limits, but are also beautiful, healthy, colorful, that are satiating. And I feel like that's what I see in your pictures. Yes. And another thing, we don't just plate the food, but we take the time to set a table. Mm -hmm. We always have fresh flowers in our house. Now we do have a mantra. Our kids are raised. So this isn't about not loving our kids, but our mantra is no kids, no pets, no plants. Been there, done that. But we always do have fresh cut flowers in the house and it makes a lovely centerpiece. I think it's important to celebrate eating and not go into it just being a mindless exercise or being something that you're ashamed of. And I I think that we all, we all find ways to shame ourselves with food. Yeah, I agree. And I do feel like it's a nice close of the day. Certainly for my breakfast and my lunch, I don't necessarily have enough time for some of the rituals that I can enjoy later in the day, Um, which through my limited travel, I found out that people all over the world do that. It's, It's pretty interesting that that's not part of our culture in general. But it might be more now that we've all been slowed down with COVID. It's the simpler things. You know, I my schedule is so empty that when I actually have an appointment, I often miss it because I don't have to look at it very often. <laughs> well, I'm curious too, because this is, a, again, we're focusing today on what someone else might dub a little bit surfacy, but I, I don't agree. And so I, I'm pressing on the idea, why does looking your best matter, even if you're stuck in your house? So I don't really think it's about looking your best. I think it's about feeling your best. And there's a difference. There's a big difference. You know, when you have to go to the office and you put a dress on and the heels and the makeup and you do the hair, the full beauty duty, that's a part of having to present. But when you're at home and you don't have to present, there's really no need to do that every day. But you do need to feel good about yourself. And that involves grooming. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people are, you know, gee, I can't get a pedicure or a manicure. I'm just going to give up on the whole thing. I've resorted to doing them myself. I think that grooming is huge. It makes it makes you feel better about yourself. The exercise makes you feel better. Eating good makes you feel better. Listening to music makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. It's all about feeling good. And, you know, feeding the soul, reaching out, reaching out to college friends, reaching out to old friends, just the communication. And again, feel good, confident, That's the beauty. Well, and I know, too, that you're close to your family, which is a big family. And I also know, because you've talked about it publicly, that you have a rich life with friends that have been many times in your life for decades. So why is it important to have friends, but and women friends in particular? Well, first of all, I have to say what I miss most in COVID is the ability to travel and see my friends and family. I am the oldest of eight. We all go home for Christmas every single year. We have 45 of us, I think we're up to now, that all stay in my parents' house. And this year, my parents are in their mid to late 80s. And my dad just had a heart attack a few months ago. So there was no way. There was no way we were traveling. There was no way we were going to stay like that. But we did something different. And I did a COVID test, isolated, quarantined, did the test, was negative. So I drove up. And I stayed in my parents' house and I couldn't see my brother or sister, but I I stayed with my parents 
for five days and we had our own one-on-one Christmas. Now, being the oldest, I always told them that we could have been doing this all the time. <laughs> they just stopped the thing, but it was so special. And I think we'll always remember it as one of our best Christmases. All my siblings felt the same way. We all did the same thing. We all went home independent of each other and without our families. And so it was a very, very special time with our parents. As my mom said, she hadn't had that kind of quality time with me since I had cancer and she would come down to take care of me. So 20 years later, I think, I think it was time. Yeah, I think you're hitting on something so important and this idea that, you know, as we all rushing through life, I'm certainly guilty of it too. The, the, the limited amount of time we have to spend with each other, now that we're tasting it again, I don't think I'm going to give it up. I, I've got to find out how to fit it in. And you mentioned you mentioned girlfriends. So I have some very, very awesome relationships. And I think the best part of all is knowing that you can trust people. I have a group of women that are professional women. Actually, I have several different groups of women who are professional women where you can talk personal, you can talk business, and you don't need to worry that there's going to be gossip or you're work plans or, or ideas are going to be on the street. And so it's, it's that, you know, finding, finding someone, finding a group that, that you have the same kind of issues, you have the same kind of problems, you know, where someone can call me and say, Hey, I need to let this person go. Or I don't know if I should let this person go. Here's the person that would replace them, their skill set, And by talking it out, you know, we usually come up with our own answers but it's just having a sounding board. You can't usually, when you're the manager, when you're the boss, you can't usually talk to your staff. And so it's great having that network of women. I also am very, very fortunate. I am best friends in the world with my freshman college roommates. There's four of us and we talk, we text, we email every day. Oh, nice. We travel together pre-COVID several times a year internationally. They all have second homes, so I love visiting visiting their beach homes, etc. But lifelong friends, we were 18 when we met each other. We were babies. And so we've grown up together and we've raised our kids together. And now we're cheerleaders for each other's kids. And it's it's such such an amazing relationship. I'm very, very grateful. That's pretty neat. I love how long they've lasted too. It's maybe dumb luck that you found three other people to hang with that long, but I'm thrilled to hear it. The college picked it. The college yeah. <laughs> picked it. You know, we just went with the flow. So you know our work in helping families get through divorce. You've been through that transition, as have I. Can you share anything that helped you during that time for somebody else who's facing this in COVID in particular, if things are seeming to get extended and we're stuck in homes together? Any any tips at all you'd have for someone going through that transition on, on how to muddle through? Well, first of all, it is a challenging time. I happen to have been very fortunate that I was on pretty good terms with my ex. And I actually, at that point, was the breadwinner. And I had to take care of him. It was my choice. I paid alimony and I was damn proud to do it. But I think it's important to figure things out. I was always up on all the family finances. I always handled that. So I wasn't at all intimidated. Um, I handled the 401ks, the mortgages, what, whatever. But I think it's important to reach out and get help and get information from people who know better than you. And I'm grateful to you for for your financial advice. It was great to be able to to come and, you know, 
in the instance with you, it, we had a short relationship. I I needed you to review something and you did and you were very affordable. And I, I really appreciated you blessing it. It was great. So a couple of things on that. One way that people can go through and have that kind of shortened relationship, which we would love to see more often, is because of your organization. Two things. You were organized and you knew the money key points. But you said something else I'm very interested in because it's almost the polar opposite comment than we usually get. Proud to pay alimony. Tell me a little bit about that. I was a stay-at-home mom for 14 years. Prior to that, I'd had a career, very short, lived in the English teaching industry, but uh, I was in the insurance industry and I was a series seven securities broker. I loved my career when tax shelters went by the wayside in the 80s, that's when I decided to have children. So I stayed home. I was a very active, very, very, very busy mom. I did some daycare, a lot of volunteering. And I had a great time. I really had a great time. But when I got sick, my ex got depressed and he couldn't keep a job. And I went back to work. My girlfriend suggested that I answer phones for a doctor, and I tried to explain that I had had my own administrative assistance back when I worked, and I wasn't a receptionist, but she pointed out correctly that I was just still recovering from cancer, and I hadn't worked in a long time, and it wasn't a time for me to commute. I could be close to home, and it could be a very low-key job. Just put my toe in the water and check it out. I said, $12 an hour is not going to make any difference to my family. And she asked me four times and said, if you don't take the job, we're going to have to hire someone. I said, please. And she said, well, would you do it for 13? And I said, yes. <laughs> I have no idea why. I, I have no idea why. But I started answering phones for Dr. Philip Chang at his uh, plastic surgery practice, Aesthetica. And I was really, really intimidated that here I have a husband that's not working. He was 19 years older than I was, and I'm making $13 an hour. I was scared. And so I started taking classes. I didn't declare why. I just took a class and then another class. And by the time I got in the third class, I proclaimed that I was getting my MBA. And during that time, I started investing with Dr. Chang, and we opened Radiance, so I'm a minority investor there. And then we eventually opened Medi. I was a 50% owner there. And I took on more and more responsibility. I was managing every bit, all four businesses. So I got more and more confidence with the education. I thought that I needed the degree because of my age. I thought I needed it to compete in the workforce. But in the end, I never left the job. I was I was there for 18 and a half years since when I started. And so it wasn't about, it wasn't about competing because I never left. It was about the skills and then having the ability to be able to use those to increase my level of responsibility. And it wasn't like someone was saying here, take on more, take on more, take on more. I took on more, I took on more, I took on more. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't gotten the education. So, of course, over time, I was making more money. And my my ex was never able, really, to keep a job again. And so when it came time to figure out how we were going to split up the house and sell things, 
I said, don't worry, I'll take care of you. I will pay your alimony. And it felt very good. It wasn't a negative. I never felt bad writing that check ever. I was so empowered. I went from making $13 an hour to paying alimony. And that's pretty cool. It is. And I love the perspective. It's a different perspective. And it, it, it addresses so much of what we're trying to do in our work. How do you help the family? So I really appreciate you sharing that. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I really think it's an important way to think about how that can look, the lens it can be understood under. Yeah, I think, you know, my mindset is huge. Mindset is huge. So you and Corey have a beautiful blended family, even though your kids are all grown. It's not easy blending families, even when your kids are all grown. That's how I came into a blended family as well. Any tips on becoming a blended family? Actually, I think I think it is appropriate talking to you about this. A financial tip. I know I have so many friends that have gotten into the second marriage and never had those difficult conversations. And Corey and I did that from the very beginning. I mean, we even had a cohab cohabitation agreement that I wrote that we had to talk out all the different things before we even lived together. And then as we got married, we had to figure out our priorities. And we did that before getting married. I told him that my goal was to take care of him. My kids are grown. They can earn their own money. But my goal with my money was to take care of us. And if I died first, to take care of him. And then when he's gone, then we can take care of the kids. So I did a flow chart. And I actually, because Corey agreed with me with that philosophy. So I did a flow chart and actually took a look at, well, if I die first, here's what happens to the money. If he dies first, here's what happens to the money. And it wasn't equal. It wasn't equal for how it would flow to the kids. And that didn't set right with me. Because kids don't know things, you know, they might say, oh, well, my dad lived in the house for 10 years before you moved in. Well, they don't know that you can live in a house and not have equity. I mean, they don't know those kinds of things. So I decided I did not ever want our kids to be at odds with each other or to think that they got cheated out of anything. So we decided to treat them all four as equals, no matter if it was my money, his money, it didn't matter. And I wrote a letter to my kids and I explained all this. And I told them that they'll get a very nominal amount from life insurance when I pass. But uh, until Corey passes, the money stays in the marriage. And after that, that they're going to be treated as, as equals with my stepchildren. I also let everybody know that there were certain things that were important that were they grew up with, art, pieces of artwork. You know, Corey's got his stereo and his stereo collection. So we also went through a conversation about, well, who gets what? So... By doing that up front, it gets all that stress out of the way. And especially if someone passes, the last thing you want to have to deal with are family members thinking they're not being taken care of. That is such important perspective. You could actually do our job. Um, so maybe that's something for you to look into since you've been here before and, and you've lived so much. It's really interesting to see. I would suspect that uh, not commenting on your marriage specifically, but I would I, I would find it hard to believe that talking these things out in advance don't strengthen the foundation of a marriage because everybody knows what's in the pot and everybody knows how everybody feels about what's in the pot. That is the essence of what we're trying to accomplish. And when we have surprises or secrets, it makes the foundation cracked or weak. 
it's just one of those truisms that's very hard to convince people of because they're afraid of the conversations. But you lived. You know what? It is a difficult conversation. For one thing, people don't want to talk about dying. Right. You know, so so you need to get over that one. <laughs> but, you know, we, we redid our wills and trusts right from the get-go. And I think that's also hugely, hugely important. I think... I think having having those conversations, you're right. It does it does make us stronger, but I just think all there's no downside. There is absolutely no downside. And the other, the other thing I would say, because I take the lead in all these things, so I always try to be a little more generous from where I'm coming from, because it makes the other person never have to feel that they're not getting enough. And at the end of the day, you know, what does it matter? A little here, a little there. And I, I just, it just makes me feel better. I think when you have to start defending yourself, I'm not getting enough. I'm not getting enough. When you're looking out for yourself, you're not looking out for the other person anymore. Well, there's something else in there that I think I'd love to hear you speak on. And that is every time we tell someone to go get their estate planning done, they hear, oh, that's going to be time consuming and or that's going to be expensive. Those two things can be true, but once you're done with it, all you're ever doing is tweaking. Can you just talk about, I mean, I'm sure you run four businesses. Corey has a business. Everybody's busy and nobody likes spending money that way, something they can't touch, see, and feel. So just talk a little bit about how you overcame that very basic objection. So I, I actually have revised my trust three times now because I try to do it, you know, every five, seven years as, as needed. But it's so funny that people are so particular about how they spend their money and who gets it. And all of a sudden, it's like when they die, they don't care. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, that's it. That That's it. Do you want any control over, over where it goes? You know, everyone is, is so upset that, you know, my ex is going to get this and, you know, in the divorce and all of a sudden, what, you don't even rem remember to change your beneficiary and your life insurance policy? Great point. So, yeah, it's about wanting it to go in the right place. And as I said, I want to take care of Corey. He's going to take care of me. And at the end of that, I do want it to be able to go to our children. That said, I, I think that in the in the financial world, uh, I mean, I came across this with my estate planning attorney, 401ks. 401ks are, are a challenge to be able to leave to your spouse. That's the best thing to do is to leave it to them. But at that point, you've lost control over the beneficiaries. And so, you know, you have to have a good trusting relationship if you're going to do that. We also have just a little agreement that we signed between us saying that we would always make the beneficiaries our four children. So wonderful. Well, another I want to close up with the idea that, you know, here you are living a very intentional life and it's a positive life. You're a, a stable and generally happy person. But that doesn't always happen to everybody who goes through even one of the bumps that you've lived through. And my question really is, even before those things happened, or maybe because those things happened, how do you know that this life is not a dress rehearsal, that you better get to it? How do you think about that? Well, I think everything we've done, every job we've had, every success we've had, every failure we've had, every lesson we've learned, everything we've practiced to perfect, everything builds on 
each layer. I mean, it's, it's, it's a building process. And if you think about it that way, I should be my very, very, very best self right now, right in this moment in time. And that's not to say that today's a dress rehearsal for tomorrow where I should be even better. It's a continuing show. And I like to be on the stage and I hope I'm on the stage for a long time and I just keep getting better. We do too. Thank you, Carolyn, for joining us on the podcast. We wish you and your extended family continued health, happiness, and success. If you'd like to learn more about Carolyn's work and how to look and feel spectacular, go to gotoradiance.com. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you, Bonnie. It's been a joy. This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.